Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello and welcome to the Josh Marshall Podcast. This is David Tainter. We are back uh, once again with a convention recap episode for you. Uh, I'm joined by Summer Concepcion and Matt Shuham. How are you guys? Hi, doing good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having me again for this yeah. second round of convention yep. season. That's right, you're back for round two. So we had the kickoff of the RNC last night, uh, much different affair than what Democrats put on last week. For one thing, a lot more kind of in-person events in this, in the first night of the RNC. Uh, a lot of the speakers were giving live live statements from a podium somewhere in DC, an outdoor outdoor venue of sorts. And the highlights included uh, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina. We had Donald Trump make a couple appearances throughout the day. One was kind of a surprise early visit to delegates in North Carolina earlier in the day, and then a kind of event at the White House later on. Uh, We had Donald Trump Jr., the president's son, Kimberly Guilfoyle, Don Jr.'s girlfriend. Who else am I missing, Summer and Matt? Any other uh, big speeches that jumped out at you? Um, it seems like you got, did you mention the McCloskey's just now I'm looking at the, the whole list right here. It was a lot of people that just sort of had some connection to the administration. You know, they had benefited from a PPP loan or, uh, they, they had benefited from someone who was a right to try patient who'd used an experimental therapy. Um, but I think you got the big names there. There's also, I'm not sure if you mentioned Nikki Haley. Right. Yes. Thank you. The former UN former UN ambassador and former governor of South Carolina as well. So, Summer, let's start with you. Um, what jumped out at, to you on this first night? What were some of the, I don't know, speeches or moments or montages that left a big impression? I thought it was very distinct from the DNC, even from a very from a very visual standpoint in terms of really using not only the White House, but really Washington, D.C. itself as a backdrop for a lot of these in-person and even supercut appearances. I mean, I think it was the Mellon Auditorium, which is where I think Kimberly Guilfoyle had spoken from, and also a number of speakers throughout the night had also taken the podium there. And it just, it was less personal, is my, my takeaway from using a DC auditorium and the White House as a backdrop throughout the night, um, which is very different from last week's DNC, which was all virtual and they were taking place in classrooms. And, you know, it's it would touch more on, for example, like Joe Biden's experience as a teacher. Um, yeah, so it's just interesting to me that <laughs> Washington, D.C. and the White House itself was used as a prop, mainly because it's just ironic in many ways. It's like Trump and his allies have been railing against, quote unquote, the swamp. Mm. That's been their shtick. And here they are trying to capitalize on the fact of, oh, look, this is our president of law and order. 
And also there was just another takeaway that I had was that I think there was a lot of emphasis on really capitalizing on Trump supporters and I think just being, for lack of a better term, nostalgic pre-COVID, actually. Um, And what was interesting to me was that as you were trying to project Trump as, you know, being this mighty president um, and obviously chanting four more years, they totally just (laughs) downplayed the fact that it was just earlier this year that Trump was hoping that the coronavirus just suddenly disappear someday. That was totally bypassed. Right. Yeah, it was, I guess it wasn't surprising, but it was a little jarring to me that the COVID crisis, this thing that has totally transformed this country and the world was almost a footnote. Um, and it, it sort of uh, was of a piece with the fact that they don't have a platform this year. They're basically just saying we support the president, whatever he wants to do. And so the, the picture that came together was, uh, yeah, 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 he's got all that COVID stuff covered. What we, we really need to worry about is these, you know, demonic Democrats who are going to, you know, turn us into a, actually, some, someone called it a socialist utopia, which I guess is supposed to be a bad thing. But um, just the, the, the apocalyptic message of it, while at the same time, completely, almost completely avoiding this ginormous elephant in the room of this plague that's it's taken over the world it, it, it was it was a trip i mean it was it was i felt like we we were in some alternate reality where they they just determined that they weren't going to come to terms with what was going on all around them so they had to you know do one of those look over there things and that was like the substance of the entire of the entire night right tell tell me about a couple of the a couple of the speeches that stuck out to me were Kimberly Guilfoyle so like we mentioned she was you know almost screaming at uh at the cameras and you know delivering a speech basically to no one except the tv audience at home and then Donald Trump Jr.'s speech as well I mean a lot of it was kind of like MAGA mad libs it was just all these kind of buzzwords of um you know that the right uses to kind of throw red meat to the base basically um you know, Kimberly Guilfoyle talking about like defenders of freedom need to kind of stand up and Democrats want to enslave you and, you know, kind of liberal policies and all this stuff. What did you two make of those speeches in particular? And um, I don't know, what are some of the highlights from them in case our listeners didn't catch them in real time? Just, you know, yeah. just so, oh, sorry, go ahead, Sober. Oh, okay. Um, in terms of Kimberly Guilfoyle, I mean, obviously there was a lot of fear-mongering in terms of stoking the fear that Biden and Democrats in general would take away your personal freedoms and they would endanger safety. And my big takeaway from that is that, yeah, it was a stark contrast from last week's DNC, where I think Biden really emphasized that emphasize his capacity for empathy as a way to instill hope. I mean, Biden was acknowledging that, we, yes, we are in a very dark time, but with with a dark time, that doesn't mean that we're stuck here forever. And that's, and, you know, he, he really, I mean, he's faced so significant losses throughout his life. And he was able to frame that in a way that I know that we will get through this. While with Kimberly Guilfoyle, um, as well as other RNC speakers, it was like, I think it was like, it goes back to what I was just saying a few moments ago about just going back to a time pre-COVID 
Um, and I guess those who benefited or found themselves benefiting from Trump's outlook or policies, uh, she, Kimberly, really, really capitalized on that. Mm-hmm. I think it is worth taking a step back. Uh, David Kurtz, our executive editor, dropped into our Slack channel last night and said, like, just be sure to emphasize how crazy this all is. Like, this is not a normal convention when it's so much fear mongering. But not only that, it's one after the other after the other. You mentioned, uh, so Don Jr. said, uh, quote, it's almost like this election is shaping up to be church, work, and school versus rioting, looting, and vandalism, or in the words of Biden and the Democrats, peaceful protesting, as if there's no actual thing known as peaceful protesting that uh, um, Guilfoyle said Democrats, quote, want to enslave you to the weak, dependent, liberal victim ideology to the point that you will not recognize this country or yourself uh, or yourself. It's, just, it's like this this dystopia. Um, Matt Gates actually, he got a little bit less attention, I think because he has sort of like the game show host vibe where he's just kind of reading to camera. But he said it's a horror film, really. And he's describing um, Biden being an actor, so-called, or an extra in a movie that's written, produced, and directed by far-left Democrats. He says it's a horror film, really. They'll disarm you, empty the prisons, lock you in your home, and invite MS-13 to live next door. Uh, and the police aren't coming. When you call in Democrat-run cities, they're already being defunded. So at a certain point, you know, these are not statements that you can fact check. These it's sort of more like a, an emotional appeal to those suburban swing states who might be, you know, afraid of people and cities. And it's definitely a lot of sort of racist uh, undertones and overtones to all of this. Um, but I do think it, it is worth stepping back and noting, like, in a normal convention, that there are tropes that you fall in as far as like, you know, hopeful, hopeful messaging and laying out a platform, but kind you know, trying to stay kind of vague about it and trying to appeal to a broad base of potential swing voters. And in this, it was just driving on that theme that the Democrats are going to upend society. And again, to quote Kimberly Guilfoyle, make you make it so that you cannot recognize this country or yourself, which it's like so far out out of out of the just common sense of of political speech writing i i just didn't know what to make of it at a certain point yeah i also just wanted to add, quickly add one more thing that jumped out to me was herschel walker who i think said that democrats want to keep black people on a mental plantation i Vernon think jones i think yeah it was there there was a it was that uh, le, uh state legislator from uh georgia is that right um, yeah, the oh, Democratic right. so, Party does not want black people to leave their mental plantation. That was another one. I was like, what? Yeah, Vernon Jones saying that Democrats want to keep black people in a mental plantation. It's yeah. like what you were saying, Matt. I mean, it's these are not things that you can fact check. This is more on capitalizing on fear mongering. Yeah, right. Well, let's spend the, the last minute or two that we have uh, talking about 
Tim Scott and Nikki Haley's speeches, more conventional approaches, really. And I think they are two, I guess, rising stars in the party, for lack of a better word. Um, Nikki Haley is often floated as like maybe a potential replacement for Vice President Pence. And now that we're something like 80 days from the election, it doesn't really seem like that's going to happen. But what did you make of their appearances? Um, Tim Scott closed out the first night, I guess, right? He was delivering the keynote Mm -hmm. speech. Um, what What did you make of their appearances? I mean, yeah, I did sort of feel bad for them um, because they just could not compete with the energy um, of these other speeches. And to Summer's point about trying to pretend like this were at a different time and pre-COVID and a nostalgia for when things are less chaotic than they, they are now, these are the kind of convention speeches that might have worked, let's say, in 2016 in an alternate reality in which Trump wasn't the nominee, but that Trumpian energy was still around. And so you kind of had to like, you know, tip your hat to the nationalists and the, uh, the Trump voters. And they sort of did that. They had a few lines that were a little bit edgier, but they were such conventional, for the most part, conventional speeches that it was like, are you, are you guys in the same party? Is this the same convention? And so I, I guess these are rising stars if Trump is, you know, demolished in November and the party has to remake itself, maybe they're trying to get in that lane. But it, it was it was jarring because you have all these other crazy speeches, and then you have these guys come on, and it was it just didn't fit. Yeah, I have to agree with Matt's assessment mainly because it compared to the rest of the speakers throughout the night, both Haley and Tim Scott are definitely, I guess, more muted in their approach, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better term, even as they were also joining in on the bandwagon against cancel culture, which (laughs) is just very ironic because just last week, Trump called for a boycott against Goodyear Tires over what he tweeted in all caps, a ban on MAGA hats and it's just, it's just really ironic because, well, first off, Goodyear themselves denied that that's even their company policy, but it's just Trump himself has had a pretty long history of calling for boycotts against people or entities that just disagree with his views. Right, right. All right. Well, I think that wraps things up for the first episode. As a reminder to our listeners, the Josh Marshall podcast is sponsored by Grady's Cold Brew. I've had at least one cup this morning already. I hope you guys have too. You can get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com using the promo code TPM. And we will be back tomorrow with more convention uh, conversation. Thanks, Summer and Matt. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.